0: I hear them searching Big brothers watching I hear them searching Big brothers watching
1: Big Welcome brothers to Media Roots Radio This is Abby Martin Big brothers watching
2: This is Robbie Big How's everybody doing <laughs> How's everybody's <laughs> holiday Big brothers watching Hope everyone Everyone's had a good holiday, holiday
1: was great <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't believe, I I mean, I don't know if it's just me. I don't think it is because I think that the pandemic is really adding to this, but just the concept of time passing so quickly and just 2021 in general just seems like it passed in like a month. I don't know what is going on. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic that's just continuous. I mean, I'm certainly not in the same mental state that I was a year ago in terms of COVID, you know, the restrictions are certainly not as dire in terms of like the lockdown aspect. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but have you been feeling that way that just time has been passing extremely rapidly?
2: Yeah, uh, I have, and I, I can't really explain it. Um, It's just that I think for me, there's a lot of things that usually like pepper out the year when the you know pre-pandemic like uh like one good example is like live shows like as something i would go to music shows you know at least once a month i would perform music um you know live at least i don't know like five six times a year um and yeah so like without that it sort of feels like there's not sort of these like things that i look forward to or do as much so it does seem like there's more of a i don't know just a slog to everything um
1: the continuous nature of the day it just is it's an ongoing groundhog day that day in and day out and i think it's exacerbated because i have a toddler and like it's hard to do much but you're totally right having even events like going out to the movie or going to a concert or having things Mm -hmm. that signify some sort of event and it's the sameness
2: Hmm. i mean i definitely noticed like it was actually I had an interesting experience. i know we said we're not going to talk about movies and i won't talk about this one, <laughs> because it's whatever but like i noticed for me you know like i used to you know i used to go to like see the generic marvel movies mm-hmm. it was like something they would you know come out like what four or five times a year they would have mm-hmm. like one come out and I hadn't gone, I think the only movie I've seen this entire pandemic was old. And it was, I remember it being extremely intense, even though the movie was not great, that like experience of going back to a movie theater was very, re- very intense. And seeing this, the Spider-Man movie was like really intense because it had like all those like, you know, like things where they're trying to tug on your heartstrings and like the the audience was packed and like people were like screaming in the theater like all these reveals and uh-huh. stuff and it was it was a very intense experience and I'm I remember being like really enjoying the movie but then like it created almost more of a a whiplash effect where it was like after I got out of the movie I was like yeah that movie was actually like pretty sloppy and messy but like it really hit me like I, I hadn't seen a movie in so long I haven't experienced like that sensory overload in so long that it like it brought down, like, all my defenses. Like, usually I'm, like, more critical, you know, if I'm walk- – like, because I, had- cause I go- used to go to movies all the time. But it was almost like I, it-, it hit me in this, like, little kid way where it was, like, it just overwhelmed me. And then, like, I had this whiplash of being, like, oh, I was just, like, so needing to have a movie experience like that that I just, like, didn't – wasn't thinking about how messy the movie was. <laughs> well, I had the opposite you know I mean?
1: experience that <laughs> when I saw Dune, it was the first movie that I had seen in two years – in the movie theater. Oh yeah, you saw that in
2: theaters, huh? Yeah, and I was so
1: excited, but I was so conscious of COVID because it was such a packed theater and I was just sitting ear to ear with like these, mm. uh, you know, just strangers and like the whole time I was not able to enjoy it. Not not only that, but the movie was very disappointing and I was just really critically analyzing it real time because I was also stoned. Interesting. But um, oh, but it was just really interesting... bizarre. The whole thing was so bizarre because I was so heightened my awareness of the packed theater and the fact that mm. it, it was maybe not a good idea to go see Dune. I hear what you're saying. Like you wanted it. The frenzy that was whipped up by the audience like helped you just kind of be washed away. And then nostalgia. Yeah, I mean it was,
2: I don't know if you ever saw like Endgame or Infinity War like in the theater. Did you? I didn't see Infinity War, I did see Endgame. You or see I didn't Infinity see it. I'm War? sorry,
1: I didn't see it in the theater.
2: Yeah. Okay, cuz like yeah, it was like that was probably the last time I can remember seeing a movie where like the theater like was like uproarious with like yeah. um, like reactions, you right. know. The different reveal, like that scene in uh Endgame when like the portals all appear at the end when like everybody comes out, like people were like like screaming in the theater when I saw it. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah it's 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 funny, I mean it is funny that like with the pandemic like there hasn't been i mean you can even tell i mean we're are talking about movies too much, but it is just funny how just like a lot of shitty shit has come out, and like these big budget things that come out are like still not as good as they were like or as impressive as they were before the pandemic,
1: like matrix resurrection, like, <laughs> yeah like
2: like they must just have like really extreme restrictions or Rules that prohibit them from just being able to shoot the way they shoot stuff. I don't know, man.
1: Is that really a way to just uh, excuse away? How (laughs) no, it's not. I'm not making an excuse. I was fucking insane. How I'm saying they've actually gotten worse. Yeah. Well, by the way, I saw Infinity War in the theater, not Endgame, and I was very sorely disappointed by Endgame in general. I loved Infinity War. Infinity War mm. was the first part, right? And Endgame was when it was the wrap up, right?
2: Yeah, they yeah. they they set the expectations yeah. so high. I mean, it to was end a movie... so
1: fucking good, and then Endgame was just like, okay, like, all right.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's move on because I do want to. Uh, there's so many movies we wanted to do like a roundup of just entertainment stuff, films, movies, and like really go into that. And because it would be a two hour podcast alone, we decided to kind of leave it um, and have this one be more of kind of a wrap up of just. Shit that happened this year as well as in the last couple of weeks that we haven't been able to talk about, Robbie. Um, but first, before we get into the big one, the big anniversary coming up soon, how was your Christmas?
2: Oh, it was great. It was... Uh, really? Even yeah, though was, I wasn't I was sad there? At, yeah, I was sad I couldn't okay. spend it with you. But other than that, it was, it was great. Um, super low key.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, just made some food at home and it turned out great. I thought good. good. I was yours.
1: It was good. I was in Florida. There's no pandemic there. It's complete fucking freedom, baby. Uh, <laughs> the weird thing that happened was just the fact that my defenses are down so much about like traveling, which I feel like isn't good. You know, it's just, it's just intense to travel and be in a packed fucking airport, a packed airplane, It's just weird, man. Um, And before we left for Florida, there was this huge annual parade in Los Angeles and right in downtown Hollywood. And my friend Scott was telling me about it. He was like, you really need to go this year because last year it was canceled because of COVID. And there's like signs all over Hollywood and L.A. being like Hollywood Christmas parade, like hosted by these two D-list celebrities, all this shit. Uh So we go there thinking it'd be like a fun time. And the first giant float that comes at us is like this nutcracker float. And it's just held by all these soldiers wearing camouflage, like fatigue, like military fatigues. And I was like, oh, that was that was strange. Like, what was that about? And then every single float after that was held by soldiers. Every every float was carried by military personnel. Basically. To sum it up, seventy five percent of the entire parade was affiliated with the U.S. military. It almost seemed like a like a ad for the military. Um, And then the only other things that were like Hollywood related were like stunt car agencies and like stuff like that of like James Bond cars, Scooby Doo van, all that shit that were like riding through the parade. But overall, it was largely like a advertisement for the military. There was even something called like the mini jet contingent that I sent you a photo of and it was very fucking weird. It was like actual mini jets, like mini race cars with little kids in them. And one of them had a (laughs) one of them had a Punisher skull on the back.
2: (laughs) Holy shit. It's it reminds me of those parades, remember like and I don't know if we were if this happened like when we were kids, but like they happen all over the country, those Shriners parades where they do Mm the miniature cars. Have you seen those before? Yeah. 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 It reminded me of that. It almost makes, honestly, I might wonder if there is like some kind of like Shriner or like Masonic relationship to that parade. I just, because of the miniaturization, (laughs) because it's like such a specific thing to do, like a miniature jet with the children pretending to be, uh, anyways, I don't know.
1: It was just weird as shit, dude. And I, and I haven't been to a parade in a long time. I know that like the gay pride parade has like banks and like weapons contractor floats and stuff like this, but this was Uh so over the fucking top The fact that there was a miniature jet contingent and then the biggest contingent comprised of hundreds of children aged literally eight years old and over. They look like babies were for Marine youth just marching like in formation. And it was just like, what is going on? Like, honestly, what is going on? There was a huge L. Ron Hubbard float, um, too. But other than that, it was like (laughs) largely military stuff. And then the very last float was Santa Claus next to a fucking Marine. Like, oh, like beautiful. waving, like standing next to a Marine on the float. And I was like, why are you with the army? Like what,
2: why are you with like a soldier, Santa? Did he have a, did he have a, like any medals on or was no. Santa like decked no. out at all militarily? No, no he was just He just, just looked there. like a normal Santa. He was a
1: normal Santa surrounded by military people. They were like escorting him.
2: Wow. Interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know what this is all about everyone seemed to love it uh no one seemed to care mind you I didn't really talk to the people on the (laughs) sidelines but I was just like so alarmed in general that this is just the way it was because it actually has no affiliation affiliation with the military at all it's supposed to be like a Hollywood LA centric and I honestly sadly just think that that's how shit is like, I don't go to many sporting events or anything like that, but I think that this is just the level of military indoctrination that is just commonplace across the United States. Like, the glorification and fetishization of the military is just totally part and parcel with with celebratory stuff. And it, it was very, very disturbing.
2: Fascinating. And, uh, yeah, when I saw the pictures, that I never... I mean, to me, it looked unusual. Like, I don't know if there's... <laughs> I mean there's military parades probably all over the country but they are usually like official you know or there'll be some battery like a mart like there'll just be like a group that does marching or drills you know that'll go to parades um so i i mean definitely doesn't seem like any look like anything i've seen before yeah uh, i mean it was so weird pretty fucking dude bizarre. it's
1: very late stage empire decay it seemed like super forced. It was just like love the military. It was like I felt like I was like in what they depict North Korea to be. You know, like how is mm-hmm. any of this relevant or or appropriate rather for the Christmas yeah. season? But anyways, Wild. anyways, we got a big old we got a big one coming up, Robbie. The anniversary of yeah. the January 6th coup d'etat.
2: Baby. The coup, d'etat. The coup, d'etat. The coup d'etat. The coup d'etat. Um the insurrectionists. Uh, the thing that has become such a another topic that has become so politicized and so like distorted on both sides of the argument that it almost seems like no one's having or wanting to have like an honest discussion about it. Still, it's it's one of the weirdest things ever. I just keep going back to the idea that we said it last year, we'll still say it now. That. You can see with your own eyes if you watch all the footage that for some reason, and I don't know how it was done, the Capitol Police were simply not given the right amount of personnel on such a huge day, and then also just like let the people in. Like some of the police literally just let people in. Some of them maybe tried to fight some of the protests from going in, but a lot of them just seemingly let them in. So I don't know what the fuck happened. If it was a ordered stand down. Let it happen on purpose. Basically, what the right has done, Abby, and I know you haven't, you don't watch as much right wing media as I have, but what they've done is they've essentially gotten themselves in this position, including like mainstream Fox News shows, like Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, saying that January six was a false flag, and the reason they're calling it a false flag is because out of all the people rounded up and like arrested and questioned. Over this event uh like a couple of them apparently were federal informants or had some relationship to the fbi so this they've taken this concept that you and i have been talking about for like Mm -hmm. over a decade that let's just say this no matter what kind of protest it is if it's a large enough protest especially if it's something that's near like federal government facilities guaranteed there are law enforcement infiltrating the protest guaranteed, like even at the very least, just to monitor and have like Intel from inside the protest. Now it's another concept entirely when you extend it to like agitators, people trying to set shit off. Like, you know, like that guy at that Firestone tire center Mm -hmm. from, I don't Mm -hmm. know, like two years ago, that cop who was breaking all the windows. And then later, like way later you find out he is a cop. Well, it's, you know, pretty obvious just watching that video he was, but, you know, even some of these Antifa actions, sometimes it does seem like some things are done where it's like, is that a Fed? You know, we've already understood this concept. And we un- we also understand that you can't just run with it unless, let's say, for example, that cop who broke those Firestone uh, tire store windows. Let's say there was a fire that broke out miles away. We're not the kind of people doing a podcast who would say, because that one Fed Broke those Firestone tire windows. This mean that all of the, like, vandalism and, like, property damage was caused by, like, fed infiltrators.
1: Exactly. Can I—I want to jump in there. That is exactly correct because it did come out that that one guy who had questionable ties to federal agencies and also was a known provocateur, that was who everyone pointed to to say, look— Antifa is actually who did this. And it's like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So even if it is well, true. Well, that was like,
2: that, that came out really early That on came out really early. This. But
1: this cemented, yeah. that was all people needed to just say, yes, this was a false flag because then there's this this one guy who was a Black Lives Matter activist, which really, I I don't think he really has strong political ties to any group, but it's just the, the, the point is that he was seen at Black Lives Matter demonstrations and then he was at the capital yes. saying let's go fuck it up Let, let's go inside da, da. and it's like your point is that so because one guy is there the thousand people who stormed the building smashing shit and all the other stuff that we know that came out of that event that was all because of this one guy none of that
2: would have happened unless this one guy opened the door and said okay guys let's go well that's what's fascinating and and just i just want to clarify i don't think that that guy you're talking about and i forget his name
1: yeah i forget his name too
2: he was i think he was black if i'm thinking of the same guy you're talking about and i don't know if he actually tried to rally people inside as much as you was just like they're documenting all the things very closely like he captured Ashley Babbitt getting shot right. in the neck and things like that there were at least two other people like white guys like one of them looked like a very generic like indistinguishable from like a maga like militarized militia guy who was telling people to go inside who apparently has some connection to the FBI. Okay, let's take that at face value. That still doesn't explain what happened that day. You can't just have a couple people egging on people to go, th- you know, break the barriers and then that's what causes it. So right, what's really it, fascinating it, yeah. is that this is the right narrative now, is that this was a false flag because somehow the feds instigated like the protesters from going inside the building. That's what their narrative is now. And this is all being propped up mostly by a guy who wrote this really in-depth article for a website called Revolver News named Darren J. Beatty, And he has been featured on many programs, including Tucker Carlson show and even Glenn Greenwald's podcast. He had him personally come on to explain this whole breakdown where he thinks January 6th was a false flag. But what's really fascinating, Abby, to me about all this is it's such a it is like a textbook limited hangout, like one of the most blatant limited hangout, narrow discussions I've ever seen, deliberately so to avoid having to talk about a lot of other stuff. And I'll just really quickly say to present this like Darren J. Beatty is doing. He can't have the discussion about the history of COINTELPRO. The most of the history is about the FBI and other federal agencies going after the left and trying to disrupt left protest movements. So they can't talk about that contextual history. That can't be included in the narrative. So that's already like limiting the the scope of this narrative very small. Then what's also fascinating is the right has pathologically, like their new narrative, like Tucker, you know, on his show, will act like QAnon never existed. That's their new narrative. They'll act like QAnon was like a creation made up by the liberal media and that it had no impact. Well, I mean, we both know, Abby, that that probably wouldn't have happened on January 6th if it wasn't for all the energy and how riled up QAnon and the QAnon movement had made people. If you look at all the total things that happened on that day and how it culminated into that, I would say QAnon and the Stop the Steal sideshow had way more impact than anything else. And you know, Even if there were FBI or feds in that protest, I don't think it needed any extra help from them to make what happened happen. And I still uh, comfortably will say that I think it could have been way worse than it was. It's actually kind of shocking that it wasn't way more violent, um, that only a handful of people died.
1: Robbie, the police officer that died wasn't beaten with the fire extinguisher. Remember? Everything's meaningless now from the day. To pontificate about how serious it could have been and to point, oh, a couple people died. Well, actually, if you look at the people who died, the lib media lied about that too, which makes the entire argument that you're putting forward completely irrelevant. I mean, it's just so ridiculous that people will point to things like that, which not that I give a shit about cops being beaten with sticks but that's the photos that we saw of like several people actually like beating the police from like an aerial shot and like actually instigating violence with with different weapons so it's like okay yeah, whether whatever the cop eyes. however the cop died like that's totally aside from the point of what you're saying which is that this this could have been totally fucking insane the fact that more people didn't die is shocking None of this would have happened without the energy of QAnon, which the right wing has tried to tamp down on and and basically explain away as a manifestation of liberal neurotic paranoia. We Uh know very well that QAnon was a huge insurgent force that was absolutely overtaking every. I mean, almost like every family that I know had like someone, a distant relative or someone that they knew that had been completely, completely mentally broken by QAnon. I literally know at least five people who either close friends or family members were poison-pilled with QAnon beliefs. It's a neurotic mental state that is pervasive, way more pervasive than anyone wants to let on for some reason. It's considered a joke by a lot of people who don't understand that. I don't know if it's because they don't know people like we do who have been impacted by this. I know that you have been very carefully studying QAnon for a long time. I don't know if they just always thought it was kind of like a liberal way to like demonize Trump supporters. All you had to do was look at any Trump rally, any Trump event. Literally at least one out of 10 people had QAnon paraphernalia. Think about that. Yeah. Even if it's just 10% of the base that got Trump elected and then came out, 8 million more people voted for Trump in 2020. I mean, that's a really scary number that that many millions of people in the U.S. believe in on this pied piper that Trump was the savior, saving the world from from demonic l- democratic politicians eating and, and killing babies. I mean, it's a very strange thing. It's like a religion a- to basically excuse away January 6th, right? And to be like, oh, this was just all this fantasy, liberal fantasy, and, and it really wasn't a big deal. And oh, these people were really just protesting because of election integrity or... Oh, these people wouldn't have done this if it wasn't instigated by the feds on the ground. Like you said, the limited hangout narrative does not explain the inside job. Why several layers of security that day, all going all the way up to the top of the congressional offices, literally did not have cops on the ground. They purposefully stood down. What does that mean? And moreover... Moreover, at first you could maybe say like, oh, there were sympathetic people, either police officers who let people in or people in the chain of command who actually wanted this to happen, which was what I thought at first, that people who were sympathetic to Trump wanted this to happen. Now, you know, here we are almost a year later where nothing's been done in terms of prosecutions to people above the low level protesters, like a couple people getting slaps on the wrist, getting sent to jail for a few months, which is fucked up if you're not going to go after the people who did this. Who who allowed this? Who authorized it? And who fucking egged them on? Donald goddamn Trump and all of Trump's cronies who fucking were telling people this is what we're gonna do, riling all these people up from the Stop the Steal rally, marching over to the Capitol. The fact that all those people were untouched, and there's this big conspiracy being like, oh, they just hate Trump and want to take him down, they could have easily, they could have easily charged him with incitement to violence. They could have easily charged many people with incitement to violence, you know, and they didn't. They chose to just go after a couple protesters and just wash it all away. And that, that to me is very, very, very weird. And that has never been explained. And I don't actually know what to think looking back a year later about why that happened, why no one was actually held accountable when they could have been from Democratic politicians who wanted to like teach Trump and his followers a lesson.
2: The most accountability we got uh, was uh, Trump being kicked off Twitter. Yeah. yeah. When he was when he was trying to, it seemed like he was going to keep egging on uh, the protesters from inside. I mean, it is going to always remain a mystery. The right somehow, and this is the part that really obviously bothers me, is a lot of people who are like knowledgeable about deep politics and, and real conspiracy stuff They get sucked into these kinds of narratives, and they don't. A lot of them don't seem to see the limited nature of this. Like they're like, "Oh yeah, that Darren J. Beatty piece seems good." Like, what what problem do you have with it? Look, if Frank Gaffney and PNAC members are talking about this January sixth revolver piece being, you know, this is proof that's a false flag because of these infiltrators, you know, something's off. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that if one of the most hardcore PNAC neocons is pushing a false flag January 6th conspiracy theory that something's off about it and that it's obviously not like a truthful, full spectrum thing that's really going to teach you, you know, what happened.
1: What is his theory about why the false flag happened? Was to set up this new wave of domestic terror legislation against the right
2: wing, to demonize Trump supporters and ban Trump from Twitter? Like, what was it? He doesn't go as much into that. He just goes into, and I think that he, you know, he gives himself an out by narrowing the scope to that. Because if he widened it even to what you're saying, I think it would fall apart a little bit more. So he's just
1: asking questions, Robbie. He's just asking questions. He's just asking questions.
2: I think it's really fascinating, and we do have to take pause, when someone like Frank Gaffney is platforming something that's basically would have been like InfoWars type of narrative like five years ago. What does that actually show you? Well, it shows you that there's some utility for these neocons, these far right neocon hawks to be pushing this kind of narrative. I I guess what I'm trying to emphasize to people is something about this narrative is non-threatening and is designed to keep people in a partisan prison at the very least, at the very least. And it still is weird to me that the left even doesn't take January 6th seriously or they just simply laugh at it because the liberals made such a big deal about it.
1: Well, let me just interrupt there there's it's kind of the same characters on the quote unquote post left or whatever that we're talking about. And they're the same people who actually didn't like the writing from black lives matter. So it's almost like you're just literally mimicking right wing talking points where January six was no big deal, but black lives matter writing and Kyle Rittenhouse doing what he did is actually heroic because he needed to, he needed to, you know, do something about the crime. That was being committed. So let's, I mean, it it's such a toxic mentality and it's so parallel to the right wing that it's almost like pointless to talk about because the majority of people that I know get the nuances that we're talking about. And it's like, look, the right wingers who apologize for January 6th will also be up in arms and call for a police state based on Black Lives Matter protests and fucking Kenosha and stuff like that. So it, it's so hypocritical and so stupid that it's, like, pointless to even talk about these, this current in the alt-left, post-left world that is just indistinguishable from right-wing rhetoric. And the only reason that it's popular is because it gives right-wingers cover to be like, look, even this guy on the left
2: agrees with me. It's sad because, like, I remember when we were looking at the media trying to use that term alt-left in a weaponized way originally, we were like, oh, you know, they're trying to get people to think that these people are extremists. It's it's a really obvious smear. Did the media just end up basically trolling some of those people into becoming exactly <laughs> what they accused them of? Over the last four years, like 75% of those people on that hit list, like, did exactly what the generic, <laughs> like, hit pieces said they were going to do. Besides, like, Mark Ames and, like, Yasha Levine, like, a handful of the people who got in the crosshairs of that who are definitely not like that but like all the other people did exactly what they it's really it's sad almost i guess i'll just end this by saying that if you want to talk about federal government letting this happen on purpose or letting something grow to the point where it needed to be quashed you know um then look to how did QAnon grow to the level it grew to how did that happen so if you're if Darren J Beatty and these people like Frank Gaffney think that the FBI was really plugged into the ground level protests, what would they say about QAnon, the top level that like poured the energy in, you know, that Trump harnessed? What would they say about that? Was that a psyop? Was that a false flag? Was that the Feds allowing that to happen? They don't talk about that because that presents a whole new range of issues that need to be addressed. And also, they don't want to take accountability for basically allowing the QAnon cult, you know, to enmesh with their sort of own right-wing movement, which is also weird. They don't want to, they want to pretend that never happened. There had to have been federal government people, FBI, some people in federal agencies who are monitoring QAnon. There just had to have been. We don't know what was done, but I think eventually we're going to hear about what the full scope of this, like investigation actually was at some point somebody had to have been looking into it to think that the fbi and other people ignored that and let it just metastasize into what it became and didn't care about it would be ludicrous the
1: problem is because it's been purged it's hard to track now of like how oh, big yeah. it is and so it's so underground 100 percent yeah None of those people stopped believing it because there's no logic there. It's like once Trump lost and didn't stop the steal, quote unquote, and didn't save the world from child trafficking, like no one like had the light bulb moment that was a QAnon supporter. And they're like, okay, like this, this is false. It just manifested and became another or just manifested and became another aspect of the QAnon belief system. It's like they didn't shed themselves of it. So it's scary That we don't know what's happening now. And it's just been sanitized from our reality, from the tech overlords and everyone else. And then everyone just sweeps it under the rug. I'm sure many of the congressional candidates who are going to run in the midterms are also QAnon supporters. Maybe they aren't as overt, you know, so maybe it's more underground, like from a lot of these people who are running or Republican minded in general, like, and that to me is scary. I'd rather know.
2: Well, I think you bring up a really good point that almost like in a way this is sort of allowed people like Tucker and other people on the right to actually erase the history of QAnon and be like, what? This is all made up by the liberal media because mm-hmm. it's all gone from the internet now. It's such a weird crazy form of gaslighting like to their own supporters. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some of his people who are watching that who'll be like, no, I, I I, support QAnon. Like it was real. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just such a weird thing the amount of dishonesty required to do that. And then I think what QAnon One of the more dangerous things it opened the door for, I think, is linking conspiracy-style thinking, like paranoid-style thinking, with hopium or like a hopeful end result. It's where you think that somehow the world is going to be saved by someone.
1: Yeah, it's basically Trump was like the second coming of Christ. I mean, if it really was a dangerous cocktail because— It adds
2: an element of religiosity to the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And usually deep state conspiracies are make you distrustful of government, make you more critically minded in terms of like maybe I should dissect what is coming from all, you know, all political parties, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And this was a partisan prism that was just propping up Republicans and demonizing Democrats in such a cartoonish way. It's like this energy is going to be utilized somewhere. And the fact that we're not honestly assessing that this energy is still out there in a very powerful way. Like it's very disingenuous and and it's gonna be it's gonna bite us in the ass.
2: Yeah, and I think that the liberal, you know, side of this too like really feeds into it. And it's it's it hasn't gone away. Even though it's not called QAnon anymore, it's still there. And you know, and it also just like creates a situation where someone like Tucker Carlson can do segments where he has on a guy named Jesse Kelly talking about how our military is too woke and too gay-friendly and how we need, like, alpha males in the military who want to sit on a throne of Chinese skulls. And Tucker's just, like, nodding along in agreement to this absurd, you know, hyperbolic, you know, kind of, like, war-making rhetoric. But yet he's sort of still seen as this savior who's sticking it to the elites, you know? And meanwhile, it's like... I don't remember Rachel Maddow ever having a guest on saying that they wanted to sit on a throne of Russian skulls. I'm sure that everybody would have made a huge deal about that, as they should have. And this just barely gets any notice. You know, it just sort of slips by people. And it's like, dude, this is really disturbing that this is supposed to be the guy on TV who's like fighting the deep state. Like, what in the fuck? Playing into what you said about how the cartoonish demonization of the Democrats and the Democrats deserve to be thrown as much venom as possible. But to do it in a, in a cartoonish way, you're actually like giving them cover, I think. It's kind of like in the same way people would criticize the Freemasons for being Satan worshipers, when it would overshadow people who probably had actual real problems with them. They're not cartoonish and hyperbolic, so therefore they don't really cut through the noise. You essentially almost like give these people more cover by cartoonishly going after them. So one example is Tucker did a segment... On how CNN has a pedophile problem. I mean, what's the underlying message there? It's that Democrats and the left Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are deviant perverts and pedos. And what's so funny is, Abby, the guy he's highlighting formerly worked at Fox News. And he just doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention, oh, yeah, by the way, just so our listeners know, this guy also used to work at Fox News. (laughs) It's just so fucking weird, dude. And Tucker also used to work at CNN. I mean, the, the whole thing is just so Well, yeah, fucking...
1: Tucker's like, like hang, <laughs> there's so many segments of Tucker and Rachel Maddow like sitting there buddy-budding, you know? And they were probably good friends for a long time because that's how disingenuous this shit is. He's just phoning it in, feeding red meat to his audience, and the hyperbolic absurdity of saying that our military is too feminized are you fucking crazy, dude? Because That's there's a the woke problem, CIA ad and because the, yeah. the Air Force puts like a pink, I don't know, adorns itself in like pink on breast cancer awareness day. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you fucking talking about, dude? We have the most over-the-top military death cult on the planet, and this is the shit that you're talking about. This is this is the big anti-deep state, anti-MIC guy.
2: Yes, CRT and wokeism is going to be the... Death nail of American hegemony. Okay. Like, that's the narrative that they're putting out, which is so dude, funny.
1: It's, dude, it's just, it's so made up. I mean, that's a thing. It's like, this has no roots in reality. And what's so sad is that the right wing propaganda machine is so strong and overwhelmingly influential that you just pick one person in the middle of, like, you know, Alabama or Kentucky or whatever, and I'm sure that they'll be. Terrified of critical race theory, you know, and they don't probably don't know anyone who's actually being taught militant like pro black ideology at school. It's just the idea that Fox News is pumping into their brains, that that is the most important thing, that it's brainwashing the youth, that the liberal Marxist hegemony is taking over our schools. It's like when you look, when you like take a bird's eye view of like the problem with academia it's not critical race theory, and it's not even liberalism at colleges. It's basically giant billionaire-funded college curriculum, like, pushing capitalism. I didn't learn about Marxist theory or, like, alternatives to capitalism that weren't painted in a really negative light. I went to San Diego State, but I don't, I don't know anyone who got indoctrinated with Marxist thought at their college, let alone in fucking high school and grammar school. Like, it's just such a <laughs> non-existent idea, Like when you really look at what's going on, the Koch brothers and all these other like right wing billionaire funded networks actually force college campuses to put forward like traditional economic courses that promote capitalism. This is such a bizarre, topsy-turvy reality that they've spun. It is so fear-mongered that people actually believe that this is a serious thing that they should be railing against. It's shocking. And the wokeism stuff is just totally fake because it's a superficial thing where they're tokenizing oppressed ideologies and identities and weaponizing them. You know, it's 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 all about representation and it's not about actually addressing the underlying roots of oppression whatsoever. That's an ad campaign. That's just smart thinking in terms of the establishment, like they know how to tap in to the most superficial aspects of liberalism where people will actually be appeased by seeing a black you know, a black female vice president. They're like, okay, we did it, Joe. We
0: did it, Joe.
1: Like, that's it. It's insultingly stupid, but unfortunately that's the reality that we're living in.
2: It just They've just really driven people into a frenzy where it's really all they see. I mean, when you hear a casual Fox News viewer just throwing out the acronym CRT in like normal discussion, expecting people to know what they mean, and all the context that falls along with it, I just think it just really illustrates how much of a bubble they are in, how much of their own reality they are in. That's what is so interesting to me, while, why there's so much focus right now on the liberal media spectrum of things and how manipulative they are, which they are. I mean, and there's just so little focus on the right media.
1: Joe Biden's presidency thus far has just been such a fucking joke, such a failure. So much that he's done has been indistinguishable from Trump, from the sanctions that he left in place to, you know, the immigration. There's statistics that show that he's actually deporting more people than Trump at this point in his presidency, to the fact that he's just broken every single campaign promise, things that he could do just with an executive order or, you know, the flick of a wrist, signing a piece of paper, absolving student loan debt. It's just an absolute joke. This build back better giant bill that he couldn't even pass, even though it was his entire campaign mantra. Like, this was what he ran on was this phrase. And, like, it is just hilarious that this giant piece of legislation could not get passed, even though the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And they blame everything on Joe Manchin. It's like, it almost just seems like a weirdly calculated thing that every two to four years you have this one person who just can't break that you know like the parliamentarian or someone like joe manchin or Kristen cinema it's like the one person who just think the democrats just can't do it because you just got this one moderate in there who just won't budge robbie so you have to do everything possible to appease the republicans to bend over backwards and be like joe what what can we do with the bill to make you vote for it joe what can we strip how bare bones do you want this bill to be so we can get your vote and at the end of the day, he doesn't even vote for it anyway, right? And then this, they can just blame him and be like, see, we need a bit better voting turnout next time so we can get Joe Manchin out and then we can get another Democrat in. And then so the next time, maybe we can pass something substantial. It, 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 it almost seems like a conspiracy because um, it is just so funny the way that this happens every single time that Democrats are in power. You know, nothing gets done. And they just blame it on the Republicans anyway. And then they just use elections to be like, this is all that matters is that you vote. Otherwise, abortion's gonna be banned. Otherwise, this is gonna happen. Meanwhile, there's even Democrats, the official Democratic line is like, yes, they are supporting anti-choice candidates. Remember Tim Kane, ding ding ding, Spanish speaking Catholic who was anti-abortion on the fucking vice presidential ticket to Hillary Clinton. They're actually openly saying they are going to support anti-choice candidates in these red states, Rob, because they got to reach the masses. They have to do whatever they can to appeal to those Republicans, because that's all that matters. Not half of the country that doesn't vote, that is eligible to vote. Who gives a fuck about those people, right? We don't care about reaching them. All they care about is reaching Republicans and trying to actually water down their agendas and become more moderate to try to reach this invisible voter. None of these people are going to vote for Democrats anyway. So it is just the most bizarre thing. I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. I'm so disgusted with Joe Biden. It's worse than I even could have imagined because at the very least, I thought that he was going to lift the sanctions on Iran and and move forward with the Iran nuclear deal. I'd never actually thought that he would absolve student loan debt because I know that he was instrumental in these bills. He has a whole history in his career of actually trying to make it harder for people to eliminate their student debt. So I was never really optimistic about that but i just thought it was funny that that was like one of his main pillars of his campaign was like this is for certain what he's going to do was like absolve the ten thousand dollars of student debt and then he couldn't even do that because he just doesn't give a shit but it's just so surreal to me that this is where we're at this is where we're going to continue to be at and then they're just going to blame they're going to blame us robbie when they lose because they will fucking lose joe biden was saying he was going to be a one-term president at the beginning which is insane. <laughs> oh, yeah, he literally was. He was like I'm just going to like e- uh, like ease the transition away from Trump cuz Trump is so evil and maniacal and the next Mussolini that I'm actually going to be the buffer so that I, uh, someone else can run. Well, who the fuck is it going to be? Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris, everyone hates them. No one's going to vote for them. And so I honestly think a Republican's going to win. Of course, of course they will. And especially with all the COVID rollout, Biden has been such a disaster on that. And as we're going to get into next, it's been so politicized and the Republicans have captured the angst from the pandemic in such a fruitful way that it is going to manifest into just consolidating power because the Democrats have failed tremendously with the COVID response. And even Biden just said, like, there's no federal plan. It's just state by state doing whatever the fuck they want. And so we're just we're at the same place that we were. The problem is the mandates and all that other shit that Joe Biden did is just further polarizing the population and turning more people against the Democrats for overreach and whatever. Even though on a federal level, really, there is no plan. But because the covid response has been so stupid it's just hurting them even more. And, and I don't know where it's going to go, um, but I have a bad feeling that a governor DeSantis or, or Halley or something like that is going to take over and we're going to see a much more competent um, actual fascist in office and it's going to be a trip.
2: Yeah, they're going to be more of a vessel um, for an agenda. Yeah. Whereas Trump, you know, somehow it all came together and was able to, his, whatever he was able to facilitate, like enabled sort of a a machinery to be created, you know, writing off of mm-hmm. what he was and what he was able to do and sort of his bowl in the China shop ways. But he, you know, he's even going off script from the mainstream Republican or just this sort of, you know, frame that they're putting out right now. Uh, and he was interviewed by Candace Owens recently and he appeared at two different events i think one with bill o'reilly i don't remember what it was actually but yeah he very openly promoted the vaccine um he even promoted the booster said he told everybody to get the booster shot and it elicited booze and he even said oh don't worry about those people those are just some people in the back like that was his way of like dealing with part of the crowd booing him and then candace owens interviewed him and he said the same thing about the vaccines, that he's extremely pro-vaccine, pro-booster. Uh, you know, he very quickly wants to just sort of brush past the whole mandates issue and, and, and throw out like a, you know, sort of like equivocating talking point saying like, oh yeah, I, I think people should have personal freedom and I don't, I'm not for the mandates, but, and then he will just sort of like sort of change the topic to something else. And Candace Owens sort of, you know, interjects, well, what do you think about, you know, how they're mandating children in school to wear masks. Uh, That reminds me of uh, China when I see pictures of that. And instead of like commenting on anything having to do with what she said about like the mandates, he's like, their education system is a hell of a lot better than ours. (laughs) He's like, what are they ranked? Like number one or two in the world and we're ranked 42nd. Chinese that have a great education system, (laughs) something like that. And I love she it. didn't really seem to know how to respond to it. I
1: love it, dude. That's amazing.
2: And apparently in private, Trump has said like, among people, fuck Netanyahu. Because I guess all the groveling and sycophantry and acting like Netanyahu was his best friend during his presidency didn't pay off. Because I guess Trump was really personally insulted by Netanyahu validating Biden's election victory. Because remember, like, the whole stop the steal thing was, like, so sensitive. Like, if you even remotely were like, yeah, the election's over, he should probably wrap it up. You were on, like, Trump's, like, shit list. Well, this is apparently how Netanyahu got on his shit list, is he, like, accepted Biden as the new president too early.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's basically is what that? it was. Yeah. No, that is. That is what happened. Yeah, yeah. it's
2: hilarious.
1: Dude, it was hilarious. I mean, the Trump... Pathetic, but... This is why Trump should not have been kicked <laughs> off Twitter, because this shit is hilarious. Mean, again, like, the stuff that he says is hilarious. Oh yeah, um, the fact that he just pivoted over to t- praising the Chinese education system is like that's such a classic Trump maneuver that I actually classic really Trump. miss because it's oh, yeah. so off the wall and so unexpected and people have no idea how to respond to it and it just it really does like trigger the libs, you know what I mean? <laughs> really it it's triggers like the, everyone.
2: <laughs> it's like when it reminds me of when he was interviewed by Bill O'Reilly right when he won the presidency and Bill O'Reilly says you know, Putin is a killer. Yep, we have you killers know. too. Vladimir Putin is a killer. And he's like, we got a lot of killers. Yeah, that was brilliant. We got a lot. Of- <laughs> and it's that like, what do you mean, dude? Brilliant, like, what?
1: Yeah. It's
2: it one of the best <laughs> things he ever said. He did a similar sort of wishy-washy answer when Candace Owens asked him why he didn't pardon Assange. So he was asked by Candace Owens also, to, it's like one of the last things I remember from the interview. I didn't even watch the whole thing. Why he didn't pardon Assange. And you know it's funny to hear someone like her acting like Assange is this is this hero and is really important to her movement because you know the right didn't give a shit about WikiLeaks until they started to like hurt Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. But Trump's response to this question was very interesting because it was like a non-answer. Why don't we play it? Because it is
1: so – because we've talked about this forever, Robbie, and this is the first time yeah. anyone's personally addressed Trump to his face and asked him for an explanation. And I think it's worth playing.
2: Yeah, and it was and it was especially bizarre towards the end because uh, people were somehow believing that he was about to pardon Assange. No,
1: and literally journalists came out and said they yeah. did not criticize him for four years because of the carrot on a stick that he would – Pardon Assange, as one of his last maneuvers. And you had the right-wing apologia machine coming out. They all said he wanted to, Robbie, but he couldn't because Bill Papadopoulos or whoever this fucking guy put the kibosh on it at the last minute. So let's um, let's actually hear definitively from Trump himself about if he really wanted to and why he didn't.
0: And I want to ask you, in terms of talking about this corruption, by the way, name that comes to mind in the news recently is Julian, Julian Assange. You know, he was exposing this corruption early on. He's had his life ruined because of it. It's, it's a really sad story. Edward Snowden, I mean, think about that bravery for me. I was quite young when that was going on. <laughs> but, I mean, the idea of saying, hey, whistleblowing, actually, we've got some corruption going on. They're not being honest with the American people. You could have had a chance to pardon these individuals, what was why, yeah. why, why decide not so, to in that moment? You have two sides of it. In so. one case, you have like sort of a spy deal going on. And in another case, you have somebody that's exposing real corruption. Right. Uh, I feel a little bit, I won't say which one, but I feel a little bit more strongly about one than the other. Right. Uh, but And you probably understand that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I could have done it. But I will say, you have people on both sides of that issue, good people on both sides. And you have some bad people on one side. Uh, but I decided to let that one ride, let the courts work it out. Mm-hmm. And I guess the courts are actually doing that. Yeah, these are big decisions. Yeah, in a certain way, you know, you have a country and there was some spying things and there was some bad things released that really set us back and really hurt us with what they did, you understand mm-hmm. that. But at the same time, <laughs> in many cases what they did these are the same people that came after me so viciously and dishonestly yeah. so you know that's you why that's why i view. thought hey so i say, come if on I'm course, your, if i'm let's in your circumstance i'm no, going no, you know what yeah well you can, you can <laughs> i could have gone i yeah. was very close to going the other way yeah i think you were too nice i might have been too nice might have been a little yes, too I've nice been, i've been known for being very nice yeah. i can't wait to ask more questions but first we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors it
1: is a very strange Answer, Robbie, because not only like you said, is he hinting to the fact that he thinks one of them is a spy. Like one of them's good, one of them's bad. <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's talking about there. Um it would almost appear that
2: he's talking about Snowden being a spy, which is very interesting. Which would mean a Russian spy like yeah, it seems like he's trying to like appeal to that older narrative that was put up by like people like Mike Rogers, that like neocon Republican congressman who was trying to say Snowden was like a part of like a Russian intelligence op.
1: But even though Assange is accused of being like a part of a Russian intelligence op. So it was really strange. But yeah, yeah, he did not want to say anything and he didn't want to name them personally. And after he said one of them was sus and the other one wasn't, he was like, and you know what? He was like, I could have, I could have done it. And he was like, but I didn't want to. (laughs) He was like, I let, I decided to let the courts play it out. It's like, what the fuck? Like... I I just it just made me so enraged because you still will hear people like Sagar and Jetty on an Assange live stream that I did that I came on shortly after him. And he literally said that Trump might pardon Assange if he wins the presidency again. And he even said that Bill Papadopoulos guy or whatever the fuck that guy who conservatives claimed stopped Trump at the last minute. That he was going to pardon assange but then this guy came in and said you know what you shouldn't do it and trump was like okay um he he promoted that narrative too and then he was like he was like maybe trump will do it the second time it's like holy fuck, dude are you serious i've actually never heard someone use it as like a, an endorsement of his second term so that was real scary and god damn, dude the amount of people who have apologized for him even after he left the one thing that a president could do is pardon people. <laughs> like, you can't tell me that a yeah. president has no power to do that shit. And yet they still did. They still made excuses for him.
2: They still did. And they still... It, it's it's just so absurd that we're even having this conversation. I know. Like, of course, <laughs> Trump wasn't even seriously considering pardoning Assange at any point of this. So, like, this fantasy... It is really just like a byproduct, I think, of this Q and on mentality that somehow there's light yep. at the end of the tunnel, that not just Trump, but somehow these wrongs will be made right, that you know these you know these things are going to happen. It's still part of that same mentality, and that's really the only reason why this is happening. And Trump, he didn't want to be asked about that. He probably was hoping nobody would ever ask him about that because yep. he knows that it makes him look good. Just the appearance that he was almost gonna pardon Assange. It's like whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. The idea. What a yeah. weird yep. narrative, dude. Yep. I mean, come on.
1: What's sad about it is that it's not even about Assange as a person. It's about WikiLeaks. It's about the fact that the this extradition that I still can't even wrap my mind around the fact that the U.S. government is charging an Australian citizen with espionage <laughs> for publishing mm-hmm. documents that are real. Uh, but that's where we're at, and of course. The, the uk government is bowing to the whims of the u.s and and just allowed the extradition to go through a huge blow to journalism a huge blow to just media freedom no one gives a shit because the smear campaign worked in droves and people hate assange and it's not even about him it's about the fact that WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks as an entity as an organization as a vehicle to expose wrongdoings and crimes and reveal all of the shit that's going on and the classification of all this stuff, this knowledge that deserves to be public and transparent. I mean, why can't people see that, that WikiLeaks is so crucial? You know, it's such an important thing. And that's, that's the real punishment is they want to set a precedent that no one will ever do what he did, meaning no one will ever set up a system like WikiLeaks again. Because they're just terrified of being in jail for 175 years, for being tortured and rotting away in prison. Like, Julian Assange will, sadly, I feel like he he is not getting out, which is absolutely horrifying. But then again, Chelsea Manning had her sentence commuted because of this public pressure campaign. And hopefully we can do the same thing to generate enough pressure on whoever's in power. Um, but it, it doesn't seem likely because they hate him so much for embarrassing Hillary and for exposing all of these war crimes that helped just put a nail in the coffin for the U.S. war in Iraq. So... I don't know. It's really sad, and the news that Assange just had a stroke. You know, he has two boys and a fiance, and he just he's just living out his days in in a prison. It's just absolutely horrifying. Side note, uh, you know how we made a joke about Kyle Rittenhouse performing at the next RNC? Well, we don't yeah. have, we don't have to wait, Robbie, because he's already doing events at Turning Point USA. Which is essentially just an offshoot of the RNC anyway, and it's just absolutely hilarious. They had like a written house song curated to him. It's like this guy, this kid is a celebrity for murdering two people. (laughs) Like, how disturbing is that? That he's like paraded out there and it's like, written house, written house, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, dude, it's it's you cannot parody at this point. You can't parody it and make it more ridiculous than it is it's it's not even after trump leaves you still can't no i mean like we said we made a quote-unquote joke on the last episode but it's not a joke i mean it's really not like i in my mind i like for a second i was like oh wait did kyle rittenhouse like already speak at like something like the rnc like he probably did like that it's like doesn't even it doesn't even seem that ridiculous to me to think something like that now I guess what bothered me, and maybe this is a really dumb thing to say, I'll probably regret saying it. I might want to edit it out. But like, one of the things that bothered me when I saw that is, can you imagine like how much ass he got at that convention? Like that baby babyface motherfucker probably got like so many like repu like MAGA women approaching him, who just wanted to have like that uh, name of someone oh. they like slept with under their belt. Oh, you know? Robbie like, didn't to tell you, the story. Didn't
1: you see him being interviewed on like a right wing like talk radio where he was like, he was like, yeah, dude, I just want like a. Like a Trump mom, like who likes, like <laughs> I don't know what he said, but he was basically saying that he, he was hoping to get ass from it.
2: Oh yeah, I mean he's he's a horny young kid. I mean he, one of the first things like uh, wh- I saw of his Twitter account because he's got a Twitter account now was that he started liking um, like step uh, sister porn on on Twitter. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? He has his own Twitter account and just like, can not you know, remember that one time Ted Cruz liked like a weird like voyeurism porn video and it like showed up on, on Twitter like mm-hmm. he had liked it. So Kyle Rittenhouse has like been doing that with like steps, stepsister porn on Twitter. Like liking different clips. That was one disgusting thought that came to my mind is like that this like young kid is like knee deep in like MAGA pussy at the fucking TP USA. The
1: fact that like Michael Reinhold <laughs> uh it was acting in self-defense i can't imagine like going up and being like dude can i get your fucking autograph you killed a trump supporter like that's fucking badass dude like how insane is this world
2: it's wild it's Jesus wild. Christ! and then um,
1: imagining like spreading your legs for this kid and being like oh my god like wear your surgical gloves when you're fucking me so i can oh pretend god like blood i'm bloods, like yeah like on the scene like holy shit dude this it's just wild stuff this absolute wild stuff.
2: And who's going to be the next uh, hero? You know, mm-hmm. who's going to be the next anointed or canonized saint in the in the you know right wing lineage? I um, you know. Back to what I was saying about you can't even parody this stuff and make it funnier than reality. I mean, a great example of this is the Reno nine one one hunt for QAnon movie that came out. They referenced those two, you know, suburban uh, magas who came outside their house with their guns. You know, to point it out, the BLM protesters, they had a lot of references in the movie, and not a single joke about any of that stuff landed better than real life. Like, yep. you just can't, and, and maybe you can't, you know, maybe better clever writing. Like, Sasha Baron Cohen manages to do, you know, some some of these people managed to be able to write more clever jokes about this current political climate, but this was just like, you, like, they, they were so out of their depth. Like, I would have laughed more at just like an edit. Of like a real Republic, like a Vic Berger movie yep. made out of the, they went on a QAnon cruise in this, you know, movie. So Vic Berger did an edit of like a QAnon event. It'd probably been like a thousand times funnier. Which really says a lot
1: because Reno 911 cast, I feel like Reno 911 is a show that I literally would laugh out loud at every episode. I thought it was a comedy genius. And I was super excited to see the new season on Quibi or whatever, and then it went under. And so when you guys told me there was a movie and it was called The Hunt for QAnon, I was so excited until, of course, I realized that it was trash. And it's super disappointing because you would think that, you know, Thomas Lennon and all the people involved in writing it would really try to be more plugged in and know that it's like not falling or not hitting. The jokes aren't hitting.
2: But damn. yeah. You- you would find a way to still make it relevant a year later. You're up, basically, it's a challenging thing you're setting yourself up for. It requires someone with deep knowledge of it who can, you know, admit that, like, what we we're just saying, it's really hard to parody the stuff and make it actually funnier than the real thing. Like, that's a really big challenge, you know? A lot of people have been trying to, you know, they they had to give themselves an out and, you know, like Dave Chappelle's, like... You know, you'll be a part of a chorus if you're making fun of Trump. And I want to be like a soloist. People have all these excuses for mm-hmm. not making jokes about Trump. Even South Park has a reason why they don't do it as much.
1: Um, they should have hired you as an assistant, Robbie. You would have done a good job oh. telling them to just don't bother.
2: <laughs> or even just someone who wrote for the thing should have just watched Colin's documentary on HBO. Like even just that minimal amount of homework would have gone a long way. You know, instead of reading a handful of Media Matters Hot takes oh God. about it. So sad. Yeah, it is, and I mean, ultimately, they—I guess Thomas Lennon claims that uh, Peacock Network or whatever network it was that hired them to do this just told them this is the title for your new movie. Like they didn't even like say, "What do you want your new movie to be about?" There, like we want you to make a movie called "The Hunt for QAnon." It sounds like he's giving themselves an excuse to that it turned out bad, mm-hmm. but that he said it in an interview. It's like really, you were just told by the network execs, you That's need to bizarre. make a Q and I. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Anyways.
1: Well, let, let me segue over from what we're talking about, Robbie, to talking about the drone wars really quickly because that horrific drone strike in Afghanistan um, that killed 10 civilians, including seven children, of course, was a horrific war crime, right? And none of the things that they said justified the strike turned out to be true of course it was all fake You're talking the, about the one that weapon. happened after
2: yeah. after the war was supposed to be yes in the over. wake of
1: the withdrawal that the horrible quote-unquote botched even though you know all drone strikes really kill 99 <laughs> probably like 99 percent innocent people all the time um and you know this was obviously a black mark on biden's record and there was no one held accountable they officially made a statement saying no one will be held accountable for this strike that killed seven kids, 10 civilians. And it was horrifying, you know. And one thing that was really interesting, though, that came out of it that I just was reading a couple of weeks ago is that Biden has essentially seized most drone strikes, um, something that no one's really talking about because, of course, the corporate media doesn't even really talk about U.S. foreign policy, you know, unless you really dug into the data you probably didn't know that Trump had dramatically increased the drone wars because no one really gives a shit about the criminal enterprise that the United States is running abroad. So, you know, the fact that Obama, the drone king, killed tons of people, basically transformed the entire war on terror into like a drone wars into like five different predominantly Muslim countries. He even actually said, quote, turns out I'm really good at killing people, end quote, Um, you know, basically saying he didn't know it was going to be such a strong suit of his, Obama, with the plane cars and would pick out the victims every Terror Tuesday and all that shit. And so when Trump got into office, he dramatically escalated the drone war, increased drone strikes like 400%. It was catastrophic what he did. In Somalia, Trump's civilian casualty rate was actually eight times that of Obama's. That's how much he increased drone strikes in Somalia. And, of course, the casualty rate uh, for escalating the drone war as much as Trump did was, like, double, you know, across Iraq, Syria, the whole war on ISIS, you know, and a lot of people just totally didn't talk about it. They pretended that he was an anti-war candidate, and yet he was just terrorizing these places, killing everyone. It was absolutely insane what Trump did in terms of drone strikes. So, naturally, you would just assume that Biden is continuing the drone strikes at the same rate, especially at the end of Trump's administration, how he put all of these measures in place to make drone strikes less transparent, basically removing the data completely of even documenting drone strikes. But apparently Biden so far has done very little. For example, in Trump's first 11 months, he did 1700 drone strikes. In Iraq and Syria. And so far, Biden has just done four in Iraq and Syria. Still horrific, but it's just crazy difference, right? Trump did 1,600 drone strikes in the first 11 months in office. Biden has done four in Iraq and Syria. Strikes in Somalia fell 75 from last year to fewer than 10 with no civilian casualties. I don't believe that, but that's apparently what Air Wars reported in Yemen um, very few. I think four, and they claim with fewer than ten civilian casualties. I don't believe, of course, the casualty numbers, but it's just very interesting that Biden is really reining back the drone program.
2: Well, that's really. I'm. I'm. I didn't even notice that you put this in our notes because we were originally just going to talk about the um, the New York Times uh like new documents that they got access to showing the huge civilian toll of the ISIS war, mm-hmm. which almost. Barely anybody in left anti imperialism talks about. Like, even left anti imperialists seem to even sometimes back the war against ISIS without even talking about civilian casualties. So, this New York Times piece goes into a lot of that that got missed even by anti imperialists. But what you're saying, and I'm looking at this The Week article about it, it's really shocking. I mean, I'm kind of, I don't even really know what to say because obviously, a part of me is like, this can't possibly be mm-hmm. true. But I mean, maybe it is and it, it is sort of weird that it's just sort of happening quietly if he really is drawing down the drone war this much but it also makes me worry what are they right. what are they balancing that out with the, what they're doing uh, is this does this mean more like cyber attacks does this mean more like like actual clandestine like cia on the ground like do, like doing like old cloak and dagger shit like what is this What does this mean for the way we're waging war right now? You know what I mean?
1: I think, yeah, the same with the Afghanistan withdrawal and drawdown. It's like, is this because they knew that China is really what we need to be focusing on? There could be a million explanations for why this is happening, but it is extremely significant that it is happening. And I do want to give credit where credit's due, that this is, it's a good thing that biden is not continuing the drone war at the same rate as trump
2: Mm -hmm. yeah if we don't in a vacuum i mean obviously since i don't this is kind of a surprising news and i also don't know the whole thing i'm resistant to it but i mean yeah if this is actually happening it is good um but it does make me wonder like what if 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 we've already reached it does i mean like my gut feeling is if maybe we've already reached a point in sort of the technology of warfare where in 2021 drones are almost like outdated now like drones that that are meant to like you know do these airstrikes maybe there's a better way to do the shit we need to accomplish now um that's doesn't require that i don't know um it's just that's it's fascinating to ponder that though if they've already become outmoded in that regard you know um remember when ralph nader used to talk about like a long time ago the idea of like a mosquito Mm -hmm. drone um i mean I feel like that's probably possible now. Like, not like a, not one that looks like a real mosquito, but like something that's so tiny that it just can like inject you with like fentanyl and kill you Uh, or something, you know? Well, they definitely have, I mean, how hard would that be? They
1: definitely have tiny drones that are like as big as mosquito, not mosquitoes, but I mean like an insect, like a flying insect that spy Uh on people. 100%. Sure.
2: Yeah. Or even something that can go inside the body and like, um, you know like cause a heart attack i mean like this sounds like super paranoid like 70s like heart attack gun shit but like i mean let's be real here technology is getting scarily like there was a period of our lifetime where besides like cell phones and internet there's not really much like we were kind of underwhelmed by like i i feel underwhelmed like for the last 20 years by a lot of technology not you know not as exciting as the sci-fi movies that i saw as a child But now I feel like we are turning this weird corner where all of a sudden things feel like they're going really fast technologically. Like all of a sudden, all these things are clicking into place, like touchscreens, AI neural networks, this like deep fakes. And it just kind of like feels unsettlingly like out of control to me. So like to think about what the military is already doing with technology like that, like is really, I don't even want to ponder it too much. Like how they're already using deep fakes, you know, it's like, it's fucking nuts. Well, sadly,
1: we're in such a capitalist hellhole that, yeah, like some tech is happening at such such an exponential rate that it's like, I can't even wrap my mind around where we're going on one hand. But then Mm. on the other hand, you have revered, quote unquote, renegade billionaires like Elon Musk facilitating all these other billionaires to play astronaut That's like the biggest cutting edge technology is like Elon Musk, who's somehow the richest man in the fucking world, saying it's either single use tunnels for Tesla users or traffic forever. And it's like, I'm sorry, are we in 2021 and we have no concept of public transportation or like city planning that we actually can (laughs) deal with traffic in like an innovative way? Like, I don't know, putting high speed rail like China has, like, it's so mind boggling that you could have technology slowing down to the point where we're almost going backward. No new technology and actually just technology for rich people to encapsulate themselves into their single use vehicles forever and just leave all of us to just rot. Or you have, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, the deep fake stuff, like shape shifting reality in front of our eyes that I don't even know how surreal this is going to be in a couple of years in terms of what we see and hear. There's this cult around Elon Musk as if he's this genius innovator when really the only reason he's this rich is because of speculative nonsense. Like, and it's subsidies from the government. So his little like snide retorts on Twitter, like being like, oh, Bernie, I didn't even remember that you were alive. And people are like, yeah, dude, like give it to him. Like, yeah, you really fucked him up. It's just like, how is this man-child, the richest man in the world, what does that symbolize about our planet, about our fucking economy and society, that this asshole is the richest man in the world? These billionaires are playing astronaut, and this whole space exploration stuff just for the ultra, ultra ultra-rich is a very dystopian symbol of where we're all headed, Uh, and it's really disconcerting
2: and alarming i, and I think. think it's and again i do think there's an element of like what we were talking about the psychology behind q on, behind the elon musk phenomenon it's really dystopian especially to me when you have someone perceived somehow as a renegade who's like going against the status quo who also is the richest man in the world both things cannot be true you can't it just does not it's not possible just think so, like, why is that narrative being sort of pushed on us? Like, why is Bezos not shown that way? He's not shown as a renegade. He's out there flying around a stupid ass dick shaped blue spaceship, and he's not like perceived as a, a renegade. And I think that it's, I think that there's something to that that's very valuable for the elites, and that they've, they're people who are learning from how that works. How do you get people to think you're a renegade when you're the most powerful? Person basically on the planet, how do you mm-hmm, do that? Mm-hmm. That's an equation that, I mean, I don't really don't think people in power had really figured out how to do except with like total totalitarian rule in like the past in like ancient history. This is a whole different like paradigm of psychology that I I think is very very fascinating. And I, you know, and it sounds conspiratorial to say that it's all done deliberately, um, but. Like, what if people figure out how to, you know, no, what if it's not some... being done deliberately now, but it's like, well, I guess my, the, the, where I was going with this, Abby was this, you know, we have Elon Musk talking about building tunnels to cut down his LA traffic commute, releasing flamethrowers, making electric cars that can drive by themselves, you know, all these things that seem almost like that take up all the headlines, but other things Elon Musk has talked about have gotten missed, like they're deep fake. And generative adversarial network technology that they've been working with for years and years, just like Google has been, and their brain implant stuff that they're already like doing stuff on animals constantly. Like they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on animal research with brain implantation chips. I'll just give you two examples of how creepy their technology already is. Elon Musk said himself that years ago, this is like three years ago that they already have deep fake like writing algorithms that can write like entire novels that are so realistic and so scary that the public cannot like have access to that. It's It's, like too dangerous. And then we already know that like Adobe was demonstrating like perfect deep fake voice technology where you just record your voice for a few minutes and they showed Jordan Peele talking as Obama. And they even said in that thing, we're not going to like release this to the public. Because it is too dangerous, so you're having like these companies acting like they're our saviors now to protect us from this dangerous technology, when we know damn well they're using it to get make get an advantage themselves. So what are they doing with that shit already? Like, you know, we talk about bot networks. What about just like neural network, like deep fake, like tweet networks that are just like not even people don't even have to do human input. I mean, but then I guess the last thing I'll say about Elon Musk that's really creepy. Is this brain implantation stuff is being marketed as ways to solve all these disabilities? Like you can maybe cure people of certain disabilities, um, and maybe that maybe that will work like that. But on the other hand, they're doing shit already, Abby. Where they're actually showing this brain implant hooked up to a pig's like motor receptors in its brain, and the computer based on taking in data from the pig walking and moving around and doing behavior it can predict what the pig is going to do next like based on like a deep fake style of technology That's and it actually shows a graph moving the motor movements of how the pig is about to move before it moves its legs like it can predict exactly how the pig is going to step and how long it's going to do its its gait and stuff it's fucking crazy. Why aren't more people talking this so- about
1: this instead of I, – I get why Bill Gates is such a creepy guy, you know, and I totally understand the fear and paranoia about like him being so rich and controlling so much. But it seems like this aspect of, of Elon Musk that you're talking about is so unexplored
2: mm-hmm. and it's very, very creepy. He has a very broad agenda that is hard to discern what he's actually trying to accomplish here. And it goes into, like, every conceivable area. I mean, it's like, imagine if Google had, like, one megalomaniacal, you know, the richest man on the planet behind all these projects. That's what I'm saying. The implications are very disturbing. And then when you combine it with Elon Musk being this perceived as a renegade, Google doesn't have that perception anymore. None of these companies have that perception. Right. They don't have the luxury of that perception anymore. How does he have it? <laughs> anyway.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to give a quick plug to Fantastic Fungi on Netflix. If anyone has Netflix, please watch this documentary because you mentioned curable diseases and stuff. And it just it's just a really mind blowing documentary. Yeah, we all know the benefits of psilocybin mushrooms, but it goes so much further into just mycelium in general and how It operates like how trees can communicate through mycelium networks, how basically we spun off the evolutionary tree from mycelium, how mycelium in general is just like not a plant or animal, but it's like a a, basically a classification on itself of just like this weird alien type thing that just exists everywhere. And it's just incredible. It's incredibly interesting and fascinating. And I just can't recommend it enough. So please
2: check it out. And I'll just say for the people out there, um, be responsible, just put a disclaimer, be responsible and don't eat anything unless you're absolutely sure about what it is that you're picking out of the ground. But I've been hearing from multiple people that in the last like rains, these last couple of weeks in the Bay Area, that it is like the most psilocybin uh mushrooms they've ever seen growing. Holy in the wild. shit. Like, they're plentiful everywhere. Apparently like they're just growing everywhere in front of like businesses and stuff in Berkeley. Well, can you get people are, can you do like dance safe style
1: stuff with my, with um, magic mushrooms, Robbie? Could you send those off and get them tested?
2: I, you know, I think you probably can. Uh. I think, um, I don't think you can't send, I mean, it's illegal to send anything (laughs) like that in the mail. So I don't think dance safe does mail things, but, um, there are ways to test. And like one of the, you know, you can generally test, like if if a mushroom bruises blue. But I mean, mm. like I'm not on my call, just and I'm not going to give people any advice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's apparently, like uh, people are saying it's almost like magical. There's so many there mushrooms out here right now. Well, that's the thing. The I mushrooms, haven't seen any myself. The mushrooms
1: though. give, and we need to receive that gift. I wish that there was a way to test all drugs fairly, like you know needle programs. I wish that there was a way that you could just go with drugs and just say what is in this because the fentanyl epidemic is so devastating and it's killing so many people who are just addicted to heroin and opiates and then the fact that they're all dying of of fentanyl poisoning is just unreal like that should be an emergency order it's like okay come test your heroin and and whatever at this center so you don't die of fentanyl I mean do we just not give a shit
2: I don't think we do I mean it's all Abby it's all about these poor cops who are um, passing out and having these Fentanyl overdoses from touching the stuff. Oh, you know, you've fuck seen all me. those videos. Which is hilarious because I talked to the guy actually who co-founded Dansafe about this. Him and I hung out a couple of months ago, and this subject came up and he's like, he's like, either those cops are doing what they do in like the eighties movies and thinking they're badasses, like taking a little sample. Like, you know, like yeah, you see. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's coke. Yeah. <laughs> like either they're doing that because they're nuts, or they accidentally did that. Or they like did it accidentally. Like they accidentally got some because, yeah, if you do accidentally ingest some, you can have like a full overdose. But like the idea that it gets through your hands, no. That's like a, that's a basically like a drug myth that goes as far back as like hippies mm-hmm. terrorizing the public by putting LSD on nord- uh, doorknobs with D- DMSO. Right. right. Um, you can't absorb a drug through the skin like that. It just doesn't work. I mean, some maybe some chemicals, but like fentanyl, no. That's um that's largely a myth, I think. And I don't know what that last video was, but apparently like they like admitted it was faked or something. Like some sheriff's department station released some video. I don't know, dude. It's it's just it's sad. It's just but.
1: sad how this is this huge epidemic that no one it's like just brushed off like, Oh, well, we can't do anything about it. It's like we're such an opiate addicted nation and all the push to get people on opiates from these big pharmaceutical companies. And then it's like, now that they're cutting it with fentanyl, which is like what a hundred times stronger. It's like there needs to be something done to help people like home kits or something, because it's going to get really bad. And there's already so many people who have died. I mean, Prince and Philip Seymour Hoffman are just two very amazing artists who have died from fentanyl overdoses accidentally like this is this shit's no joke dude and it's just getting worse
2: it's absolutely terrible i mean and even i've even heard that fentanyl's in like street cocaine dude absolutely east coast no absolutely it's everywhere so like yeah it's like there was a I mean, it is, it is it is really sad, too, how I've noticed that leftist and even libertarians, like two flanks of the political sphere in the U.S. that should be still fighting against uh, drug laws and advocating not just for justice reform for drug offenders, mm-hmm. but also like decriminalization. Right. And I've just noticed that's kind of slipped away, except for in these more very, very like liberal areas like Oakland or like in... Portland, I think they had a decriminalization effort for psychedelic plants, but I don't know. I just noticed that people just seem, and I don't know if it's just because our generation is getting older and people are getting more grumpy and conservative as they get older, but that fight still needs to be fought. It's like, how do we prevent that stuff? Well, it's by making these things safer to get, like, like you said, making like testing more available, making it like, where it's not a crime to possess heroin. So you can, actually get it tested, you know, or not have to buy it from a drug dealer on the street that's, uh, you know, that's putting fentanyl in it or that's, it's cut with fentanyl, so.
1: Exactly. It's almost like there's I mean, just a conditioning of just, oh, it, weed is legal here in California, even though it's gotten awful and it's so expensive now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like people are just like, oh, shit, shit's crazy. Like, we don't need to worry about, you know, pushing for federal decriminalization and legalization of a lot of these drugs. And it absolutely needs to be the next step. We can't just get lazy. You know, I mean, it's even more of a reason to push for this stuff because now the the tide is turned. You know, like 70% of Americans agree with us on this. And so we need to keep pushing for it because so many people are dying. And, you know, back to that fungus documentary, I mean, like the benefits of things like ketamine and psilocybin mushrooms are astronomical. I mean, it can cure illnesses. It, it cures PTSD. It helps with terminal illnesses and just the state of mind of, of so many things. And so we need to we need to push for for this consciousness to expand, and I'm glad that it is with documentaries like this. And I hope it continues to be. but there is still a very sad stigma on heroin and opiates even though it's a result of our system that this has happened. Uh, but yeah, it, that, that should not be the case because addiction is a very sad, real thing. And, you know, we know several people who have struggled with it. So uh, I forgot to mention Daniel Hale when I was talking about drones. Just a quick plug for him. He was just yet another intercept whistleblower who got royally fucked and is now in prison for 45 months. I'm actually surprised that he is not in prison for longer for leaking documents about the drone program. He was a drone operator. He was startled with the fact that 90% of all victims of drone strikes were actually totally innocent civilians. Um, And so he released this data. This is why we know conclusively that 90% of all drone casualties are not the intended targets. So of course he was thrown in prison and he is having a really hard time. He. Has to have everything photocopied to him. He he really wants colored photographs and letters. You can go to standwithdanielhale.org to get more information about how to
2: contact him. Did you wanna? Um, yeah, and talk and about anything else? I'll just get a chance to talk about.
1: Yeah, I'll just I'll quickly also plug the Empire Files on the Red Hill situation. My partner, producer for the Empire Files, Mike Preisner, just went to Honolulu, Hawaii was on the ground um, doing incredible coverage of Native Hawaiians' resistance against the U.S. Navy for contaminating the island's water supply. The U.S. Navy is holding 200 million gallons of jet fuel 100 feet above Oahu's biggest aquifer. This supplies fresh water to almost everyone on the island. And they have callously, you know, just let these tanks degrade. They're in this decaying tanks that have been there for like 70 years or something and they just leak all the time and there was a huge leak about a month ago that contaminated tons of people's water they were reporting ridiculously terrifying symptoms like uh full body rashes chemical burns in their mouths the navy was denying it for Weeks, they finally had to admit that there was a leak, but it was way smaller than people think. The problem is that this aquifer is not just like a freshwater dam, it's mountain ranges in Hawaii that filter through. It takes years to actually filter the natural rainwater. And so it's not just something that you can re- remediate. You know, it's not just an easy fix where the Navy can just be like, oh, we're going to flush the aquifer in the mountains and like flush all the fuel out. No, it's fucking crazy. They refuse to move the tanks they refuse to shut down this tank storage and more people are going to suffer and die and jet fuel contamination causes miscarriages birth defects leukemia the list goes on and on native hawaiians have been calling to shut down red hill since they found out about it and the light needs to be shed on how catastrophic the situation can potentially be if there is another huge leak they claim that they've Uh, you know plugged up the leak right now but as i said it takes years for us to really know the true effects of how much is leaking because it's not just an overnight thing um and so right now it it remains to be seen what is going to happen this is another blatant disregard for service members this is happening primarily primarily it happened to the military members who are stationed because the u.s military like still occupies mostly all of hawaii it's essentially just begrudgingly made it like a state but it really they treat it like a territory you know and so it's 22 percent occupied by the u.s military they just have destroyed all the pacific island i mean they it's a super fun site it was called pearl harbor because it was like the pearl of the of the bay where they just it was so plentiful with like shellfish and oysters and all of that's gone now they can't all the water's toxic and so it's been a huge struggle for a long time and no one really understands this history or, or how it's still impacting native Hawaiians who are still calling to demilitarize Hawaii. So it, it was a shocking story. It's still going on. And the fact that this is how the U.S. military treats its own service members. This is how little it cares about the lives of its own military members. So what do you think it's doing to the people around the world? What do you think is happening to the bases around the world that there's no EPA oversight? Just imagine. Imagine the criminal actions and the deliberate poisoning of these pristine lands across the planet. It's tragic, and we need to stand with the native Hawaiians who are calling to shut down Red Hill. So check out Empire Files reporting. We have multiple podcasts about it. We're putting out a video later today showing, uh, some of the resistance actions that's been going on. So please check it out. It's affecting way more than just military members, but that's the only people who the U S Navy is even acknowledging is, is receiving the contamination. So it's a huge story still unfolding and, um, no one's really talking about it to the extent that it needs to be talked about. So.
2: Yeah. You guys, new reports about that are really great. And it's something that I haven't seen anybody else talking about. So, um, keep up the good work with that and i hope uh you know i don't know how much you're going to be able to talk about in your upcoming documentary film but i hope uh you get a chance to just like name drop the the shad um uh, spraying experiments that they did to to u.s military service members where they just like involuntarily subjected hundreds of thousands of personnel to chemical and biological weapons without their consent and they released you know they're like oh here's a disclosure about all these horrible things we did but we promise nobody has any ill long-term health effects from this but here's all these bad things that we did without your consent i mean that's that's pretty much what they did and no one really knows how much damage they caused Um, you know birth defects health problems really sad anyways um well should we wrap it here i mean I feel like the COVID discussion is going to take us... I know. ...take up like another half hour.
1: The COVID discussion is very important. I feel like I haven't weighed in on it because I myself was confused about a lot of it. But I I have a lot to say now. And yeah, I mean, since we're at the two-hour mark, we might as well wrap it up here. But I do think that we need to do a whole episode about it in January because the shit's not going away. It's The polarization of the debate is getting more extreme. Um. I liked your nuanced take a couple episodes ago. I thought it was important, and I think that it almost was overshadowed by a lot of the other stuff, and it and and it wasn't explored even enough. <laughs> so I think that we should just do a whole episode about it, where we just give our take.
2: This, I mean, I guess I'll just say this: I, I do want to talk about some of these supposed renegades, you know, who are being hoisted up by alternative media. One of them recently appeared on Joe Rogan. He's a doctor who acts like he's fighting Big Pharma, and he's trying to take down you know, what he calls these Pfizer experiments and all this stuff. But then Gumby's pulling up things about how he's made over 1.2 million on other from other pharmaceutical companies. So you really do have to wonder a lot of these alternative lines, if it's so, you know, if that's what people want to hear, this all just completely oppositional perspective, then you also have to understand a lot of people are jumping into that void are doing so cynically to promote their own agenda. You know, the Pfizer CEO... Is on Fox News Business getting like a softball roundtable interview. It basically seems like some kind of infomercial, yet they act like they're really against the vaccine mandates and they're against Pfizer and all this stuff. And it's like, it just, something's not adding up, you know? So I, I, you know, I always want to talk about that angle of it, but I feel like in this area, it's very important.
1: No, it totally is true. That was the one thing that I thought that you were totally dead on about is all of the dark money. That's going into the knee jerk reaction to the liberal media narrative about it. And, the you know, the over the top, I will say there has been a lot of fear mongering about it, of course. And unfortunately, the attitude has changed from Trump to Biden. Um, and mm-hmm. and that is also very sus, Right. You know what I'm saying?
2: I know what you're saying. They're definitely trying to make it seem like Biden was going to be the savior to pull us out of this and that he was, they were, you know, they were trying to optically paint it. And the media was too, like Biden was making the right moves to take us away from the wrong turn that Trump took us down, you know, down Mm -hmm. that road. Um, When the reality is he's doing the same or even actually worse. Like if Trump was trying to sow chaos on purpose, almost let's say if he was just doing it purely selfishly because he dropped the ball at the beginning he's like fuck it let's let all the governors take the heat like let them figure it out like what then what is biden's excuse like i don't even know what reason he would have to drop the ball this bad you know trying to push things like draconian federal mandates you know and then like losing in court and then and then now having fauci again do what they did during Trump, which is Fauci came out and said, like, it's probably not a good idea to, like, do holiday gatherings. And now Biden's, you know, doing the same thing when he was supposed to save us from this. And now we're two years into this shit, and they're saying the same thing they said, like, the very beginning. Like, to going to, like, Christmas is too dangerous. So I guess great job on him, you know. Um, and what's what's actually happening? Like, what are they doing? The only thing that I would really be really, like like, rally behind right now with I guess anything Biden related is if he demanded the fucking companies to open source the vaccine formula right. so that everybody can look at it. It wasn't just owned by a couple companies and yet that's still not happening. And or it's if he like, paid people,
1: on. I mean the whole, the whole debate about lockdowns is completely irrelevant unless um, like, it's not like, Oh, are you pro lockdown or anti lockdown? It's like, I'm only pro lockdown if we get paid, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, obviously it's going to hurt poor people if you just lock, Force people to not do shit like without paying them and like making them pay mm-hmm. rent, like uh yeah, we'll definitely try to take a stab at it at the next, take a jab at it at the next uh yeah. episode that we
2: do and you know just i just I'll just leave people with this since we started talking about January sixth the beginning is that like look you know we were we were still like in the mindset like this is gonna this is just the beginning, you know january sixth mm-hmm. even after, if Trump leaves this is like gonna get worse. And the circumstances and the mixture and the environment seem like a perfect storm to make it worse. The COVID restrictions, the you know this idea that the virus might have leaked from a lab in China. I mean, so many things were thrown into the mix where it's like, how did we not have another January 6th style event just at a city hall or a Capitol building with people who are against mandates? How does that not already happen? And I guess the only answer I have is that there's a disconnect. Yes, it does seem like a lot of real people are getting riled up by this like reptile brain stuff. But on the other hand, it does seem like there are people, elites, you know, people in like running steering this media narrative who are not quite cohering, or they maybe know they're playing with fire and they know to hold it back just enough. Where, like that one example I mentioned on the last podcast, that that Golden Gate Bridge protest could have been really like serious like they could have like blocked the bridge but yet the GOP sponsored that you know anti-mandate protest and there must have been some order like to not block the bridge so I think that that shows that someone is playing with fire they're playing with this rhetoric but it's not culminating like it should be organically like you would think if all this stuff is organic it would have already amounted in like several other violent uprisings you know What you really see is just conservatives expended all their, you know, rage against the the pandemic response about masks. And then, like, it's kind of just all fizzled out. And it's like there's a disconnect. What I'm saying is there's a strange disconnect. And I guess in a way that's good that you don't see, you know, I, like, maybe a couple months ago, I would have been scared of another, like, kind of violent event happening over this. But now I'm like, yeah, something's not it's not, it doesn't feel as real as it did. Well, to whatever me
1: was ago. organic has been totally astroturfed. Like you said, it's literally just sponsored yeah. by the GOP. It's very interesting to see how a lot of dark money has been funneled into the that whole mentality, you know, and the outrage.
2: Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed this this episode where we sort of bounced all over the place. Abby and I haven't haven't had a chance to talk about stuff like this in a while. And yeah, it's the holidays, so we're probably only going to put out three episodes this month. The final episode that's going to come out uh, is going to be our bonus podcast this month. It's the part two of my sort of overview of the smallpox bioterrorism uh, fear mongering that has been largely forgotten by people. And when I dove back into the anthrax attacks for the 20th anniversary this year, um, I just... I just started seeing a lot more stuff about this, just incidentally, and I realized it's a story that hasn't really been told uh, in a complete fashion unless you were paying attention to every you know newspaper article during that time period, you've probably forgotten it too and um, and it has a lot of odd resonance with what's happening today. I mean, I was just looking through an article last night where right after the anthrax attacks are already talking about the civil liberties implications of like basically restricting people's movements uh, if a smallpox bioterrorist attack happens. So there's all these discussions like right out, you know, how, like similar to COVID, like how are we going to deal with COVID? I mean, a lot of these discussions were had about an imaginary event. It's it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, Dick Cheney apparently was a big proponent of this. Yeah, I think people will find it very interesting in this next episode, part two is going to be almost all about the Bush administration's plans for this, because uh, the first episode was sort of giving you all the context for it and the, and the backstory about smallpox pandemics in general, which, you know, there have been, you know, infant vaccine mandates, like in the UK during like aspects of uh, eras of the smallpox pandemics. I mean, so there's eras of our history where there's been way worse restrictions than there are now, and in a way we almost have it easy Compared to some of the previous historical eras, um, and I think it's important to. And I'm not saying that to excuse any of these mandates or anything. I'm I have huge problems with them. I just mean that a lot of this context is lacking, and I I just think it's in, it's important to put it all into perspective. Um, there's so much history about the way laws have dealt with pandemics before, and I think when people you know are equipped with a little more knowledge about that, they can. Hopefully have some more nuanced discussions about this um, that aren't just giving, you know, media hot takes back and forth.
1: Yeah. So so let's let's say some final words. You know, there was a lot of great things that happened in the year that we didn't get to. Uh, Union drives were up. uh, The first union at Starbucks. And a lot of workers' initiatives, a lot of protests that were calling for higher wages, and hopefully that was a result of the pandemic. So something good came out of it, which is a lot more organizing, um, you know, in different work workspaces, which was great. The resurgence of the pink tide in Latin America, uh, Honduras, Nicaragua, you know, all of these things that are happening. Chile, amazing leftist leaders are coming to power and defying what the U.S. tried to do to the continent, which is tamped down on progressive change. And so despite the war on Latin America, you still see the people speaking and electing leaders that it's hard to imagine that we would ever, you know, allow to come to power here. So very optimistic about what's happening in that region of the world. China's doing some really interesting stuff. Um, And, you know, I, I think a little light at the end of the tunnel is important to gain perspective that... It's not all doom and gloom, even though we're living in this dystopian hellhole where the pandemic is as bad, if not worse, than it was exactly at this time last year. Uh, The rest of the world is is doing some interesting things. And a lot of people here in this country are doing some interesting things. So even though the dialogue seems to continue to get stunted and it is increasingly divisive and it's harder to kind of engage in conversations, especially online, I am optimistic for a lot of other reasons and hopefully we can carry that on to the new year and have it be less weird and come out better people than we were. And that's all we can hope for.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I think, you know, even though we still have a relatively small audience compared to a lot of other podcasts out there, I am noticing sort of an increase in people you know, sort of really like I don't know a less corny way to put it, but like really vibing with the perspective that we're bringing, especially about you know how we criticize alt media and we're not just like sycophants who toe the line of whatever like the alt popular alt media take is. Because I think people are, are there are critical thinkers out there who like what we do, and I, and I it makes me hopeful to see that there are people who really value that perspective and understand that there's like another way you know not that there's like a centrist way or a middle way but there's another way which is just to like not let media like activate you and agitate you and and agitprop you you know try to like zoom out a little bit from it and you know use media as a tool but not like as something that steers you and what you're caring about i mean maybe sometimes like if a certain thing really grabs you but you Know just be a maintain your autonomy and critical thinking skills. Um, and I think uh, I've noticed more people just you know, seen, like taking that perspective. So well, that's great, um, it makes me happy. That's great, yeah. and
1: we'll continue to be true, true blue, baby. Uh,
2: yeah, blue and on, we're blue, blue and on. on,
1: we're blue and on. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, Robbie. It's really great <laughs> to see uh, that people jive with the way that we kind of analyze media and talk about these things, because sometimes I feel like I'm politically homeless and you know, it's hard. It's hard because I feel ostracized from a lot of these like dominant narratives. And so it it helps to know that there's many other people who feel this way makes me happy and it makes me empowered to continue the fight and continue doing what we do. So thank you for all your original investigations this year, Robbie. Thank you for what you've done to pick up the slack while I've been focusing on childcare and I'm excited to be more involved next year and have you put out some really cool things. Hopefully I'll put out my movie and just keep plugging along fighting the good fight.
2: Yeah. And same to you guys have been doing some excellent work. Um, the stuff in Hawaii, um, especially great. And yeah, I can't wait to come on the empire files podcast, to to talk about my, my anthrax stuff. Everybody, have a great 2022. And um, I'll just leave you with a bit of breaking news, which will probably be old by the time you hear this. But Ghislaine Maxwell found guilty on found guilty five out of six counts. Great. um, About sex trafficking minors. So So let's, let's, uh, Hopefully, this podcast will capture some people's attention in the storm of tweets about her killing herself imminently. Yeah, I was just going to say that was going to be a trending <laughs> yeah, topic right. hashtag soon.
1: Have a great 2022. Hopefully, you'll be with us every step of the
2: way because shit is about to get
1: cray in 2022.
2: And uh, if you're not already a subscriber to the Media Roots Patreon, um, please consider becoming one. Uh, and if you do, you also get access to exclusive content like the bonus episode that we put out every month and there's about geez probably 50 hours worth of bonus content at this point and uh yeah so definitely check it out um and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash media roots radio so thank you so much for listening
1: to our little wrap-up of 2021 and i hope that we will be talking again very soon
2: yeah, and um, episodes we're planning on doing soon. Is we're going to have right. Yasha Levine back on the podcast very soon. Big Stay tuned for those watching. as well. And uh, have a great New
0: Big Year, everybody. Watching. Big Brothers 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 watching. Big brother's watching.